Welcome to our podcast, the Mississippi Arts Hour, Legacies of the Great Migration. I'm Monique Davis, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer and Director of the Center for Art and Public Exchange at the Mississippi Museum of Art. This limited series podcast explores how food, music, and literature in the U.S. evolved due to the Great Migration. I speak with authors, chefs, and musicians, all with ties to our state. On April 9th, MMA will open A Movement in Every Direction, Legacies of the Great Migration. This exhibition asks 12 artists to trace their personal stories through the Great Migration and explore their family connections to the South. We hope listeners realize the importance of this historical phenomenon had and continues to have on our many cultural aspects of our country. Thank you again for tuning in. In today's episode, I speak with Mississippi chefs Naya Mayard and Enrica Williams. Naya spent her childhood in Yazoo City, where she learned the importance of Southern food, including fish fries, collard greens, and pimento cheese. Enrica is a West Point, Mississippi native whose family also taught her how food brings communities together. In this conversation that is sure to leave you hungry, both chefs share how food keeps them connected to Mississippi, archiving family recipes, and what effect food has on our community and our memories. So, um, Enrica, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, Tell us a little about your family's migration story. Did your family stay in Mississippi or move outside of Mississippi or a little bit of both? Um, so I am originally from West Point, Mississippi, which is Clay County, Northeast Mississippi. And I have um, the unique uh, situation that both of my parents, my mom was born in Lowndes County, which is Columbus, and my dad was born in West Point. So a lot of my family's lineage is um, West Point. So that's, I just say that, which is the golden triangle. Um, I remember I grew up in West Point until I was like 10 years old. And then my dad's job, he was a graphic um, artist, um, moved us to Jackson. And that was like a really big move for us, um, coming from small town West Point to the big city of Jackson. And then again, my dad's job moved us to Baton Rouge. Um, I remember as a kid, when I was in West Point, a lot of my cousins and uncles on my dad's side, his brothers on his side, they moved and they went to school and they enlisted in the army. But a lot of relatives that I remember, like distant relatives, um, they moved to Detroit and they were in Milwaukee and they were in Chicago. Um, And a lot of them, like my grandmother's sister, um, she worked for General Motors and she, you know, retired there. So it was just like always this unique um, connection of knowing people that moved away from West Point. But I still had like a really large center of my family that still stayed in West Point. And then we always have the cousins that would come for the summer. And, you know, they would come from these far off lands to us in my in my mind, you know, like, oh, my God, you know, Chicago, that seems so far. And they would come home for the summers. Um, so that was like the bulk of my recollection about uh, the Great Migration, about people that um, I didn't necessarily grow up with. 
but I knew of them and they would come home for the summers or they would come home for major holidays and and they would tell us, you know, about the big city and the things that they were doing and the movements that they were making there. So I had like a very, like a mixture of things, but even now the majority of my family has has returned to Mississippi in some capacity, mostly retired or you know for you know quality of life so that was that was my experience um and that is my experience with um the great migration and naya how about you and uh your family's migration story yeah so my mom's side of the family is from mississippi i was actually born in philadelphia and then like in the fourth grade my mother returned back to Yazoo City, which is in the Delta. And um, she had left to go to college. She actually graduated from Jackson State and um, joined the Army after graduating college. And that is where she met my father. And then so she married him and came up to Philly. And then um, my mother and my brother and I moved back to Yazoo City. Um, and my mom's people are really deep down in the Delta, like Louise. Um, so my great aunts are still there, but much like Enrica, um, a lot of our folks have went to Chicago. Um, my grandfather was up the road in, uh, from Louise in a place called Silver City. Um, Mississippi. And so he eventually joined the army and um, migrated to Detroit and also found work in the GM factories. And he was like a master electrician and um, built the robots that built the cars. And and, um, a lot of his brothers and sisters migrated up there um, and found work and um, were able to to lead solid middle-class lives and and have ancillary businesses and then you know just like enrica saying there's like this trend of like it's almost like sankofa right like to return to so Uh folks um would leave mississippi and then like come back to mississippi so i have folks who have since returned to live in belzoni um and then also as far as Texas. Um, So, yeah. I think that is really interesting connection between you and Enrica and both of you all kind of highlighting how people are moving back to Mississippi just because of the um, ease of living, the lack of harsh winters and snow. And as I always say, cheap real estate. Absolutely (laughs) cheap real estate. And so um, what effect do you think your location, your surrounding or your family surrounding um, being born in Mississippi and raised in Mississippi? How has that impacted your your cooking? And Naya, I'll start with you. Um, well, like I said, I was born in Philadelphia, but uh, by the eight, by the fourth grade. So I'd like nine or 10 is when I'm back in Mississippi. So I feel like you know, a, a joke amongst a lot of my my chef sister friends are like, 
how long can Naya go before she tells you she's a black woman from Mississippi? And it's, uh, <laughs> it, it is, you know, I claim it because, it, you know, it's not, there's an ease of living, but it's also a difficult place to live, too. Mm-hmm. And it has so much beauty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our labor, our ancestors, like that land has been bought and paid for multiple times through our sweat and our blood and um, our energy and there's no place like it, you know? Um, so even though I, I I spent the beginning of my childhood in Philadelphia, my mom, her folks are from Louise. So what, you know, my palate began at home, obviously like most people. So uh-huh. my mother was like, kept a thing of bacon grease in a Crisco container on the stove, uh-huh. you know, like, um, my dad is from Pennsylvania, you know, it's from Philadelphia and is a steak and potatoes, cheesesteak kind of guy, but he still talks about like when my mom made neck bones and he was like, he had never had them before, but he loved them. And like my mom, I grew up in a house eating okra and lima beans and butter beans and stewed turkey necks. And um, of course, collard greens, black eyed peas, um, you know, smothered, t- chicken livers. So that is where, you know, my palate is rooted rooted from. And that's where like, so my starting point and, and then like growing up in the South and, you know, just going to the Red Barn and getting sauce and crackers and, you know, pimento cheese and just like, to me, a good old fish fry in the summer. To uh-huh. me, like when I fry fish, I feel very rich. Because it just reminds uh-huh. me of the summertime. And so I feel like that I that's what I try to explore in my work is using the South of black Southern foodways as a starting point to make larger connections through black diasporic foodways. Mm, that's really powerful. I love that. I love that you said that uh, Naya, I love, I love that the diasporic um, uh-huh. foodways. I I love that. So succinct. Um, for me, um, uh, the location, um, how it affected me and my cooking, um, I grew up in a small town and to not risk sounding like um, a bad Lifetime movie, like it was really... <laughs> I I didn't go without anything. I had an amazing group of teachers and influence and access to those things. Um, I read a lot and still do as, you know, as a kid. I was always encouraged to explore and to be imaginative. I was always given opportunity to create. So, I've always I've always had that from a young age and I definitely know that that's in part of my father being the artistic spirited person that he was and my mom being um, a genteel southern woman um, full of um, of um, strength and, and dignity and beauty but also a very um, homey and familiar um, energy about her that it just gave me the space to um, to just gravitate to all the things. Food was always present for celebration. And it was, um, I saw the power of it, of um, community 
and how it made people feel. I was always just um, connected to that, like how I saw it, you know, visibly make people feel. Um, and the sharing and the 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 access to good food, you know, it didn't cost a lot. I mean, as far as monetary and people had gardens and everybody's parents, you know, the bulk of them worked at Brian Brothers Food, which was a pork and beef processing plant in West Point that the majority of our parents, my parents, luckily they worked at another factory, go figure. But most of them, it was just this abundance of understanding seasonality and understanding um, not wasting food. And I, those, it's just like the things that are just like prevalent in being a chef or understand being a food steward or understanding that those are like the points that they try to drive home now. Like that was just always a part of what I come from. My grandfather had a garden in the back in his backyard and I'm not talking a patch. I'm talking about rows and rows of food. My grandma had um, chickens and so she would get her fresh eggs but she would also go to Sunflower grocery store and she wanted her Lesseur's peas and she wanted her you know her um, oleo and her iced potatoes and she wanted her Brian Brothers sausage she was very specific in the things <laughs> that she would buy at the store so it was like it was just always these dualities to me that I, I was just always exposed to and um and I kept that, and um, and I and PBS, and I say this in stuff when I talk about like food and where my beginnings are. PBS was so pivotal to fueling my imagination with food because I would just watch Saturday after Saturday morning cartoons. I would watch PBS um, line up which was Julia Child, Justin Wilson, Yan Can Cook, uh, the Galloping Gourmet. Like, they would just show these these cooking shows. And, of course, you know, this is in the old days when they didn't have on demand and you couldn't record and stuff. So I would have my little notebook, and I would just write down this little stuff or I would draw little pictures. And I just, I just always had that, just fueling and feeding that. And, and to me that's always carried over in the way and in, in, in how I cook and present food. It's not from a place of, um, of, of lack. It's not from a place of treating soul food as if it is a secondary or if it's not as important or it's, you know, it's, it's something to be shameful or embarrassed by. I always just had this understanding and this appreciation um, of food and and it just carries over now and you know and I'm seeing like this this um, resurgence of people rediscovering their own roots and re rediscovering their own spaces of childhood memories or you know in their travels or whatever like how food is just so, is such the forefront of um, their recollection and for me, it's just more of an honoring and an appreciation and showing it in a light that is honoring and honorable to the elders and to the ancestors and to the people where I come from and just like how they just poured into me. So that's where for me, how food just um, 
it comes back around uh, in the work that I do now. Well, that is a really good lead in for my next question, which is, can you, I don't know if you can imagine yourself doing this, but you know, Naya and Enrico, use your radical imaginations. <laughs> and what do you think, if you lived someplace else, how would that have impacted your cooking? What if you lived in a, in another country or state of state of the union? So for me, I, I'll, I'll start real, real quick and, and I'll make it, I'll make it snappy. But for me, um, <laughs> I started a little later in life. I'm doing like air quote fingers. Uh-huh. As I'm saying that um, in my culinary, in my professional culinary journey. So I moved to Atlanta and I went to culinary school and I lived in Atlanta for 10 years. And um, culinary school was such a pivotal thing for me. Um, it gave me yet even more of a playground to like discover technique and discipline and ingredients and also like the connectivity of cooking styles and ingredient usage and, 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 and casseroles and dishes that we identify as comfort in other cultures and other parts of the world, they are very synonymous. Like they're not that far removed from each other. Um, so for me moving to Atlanta was a satisfaction of being to expound on that. And um, I was incredibly homesick the duration of the 10 years. And I would um, come home to like feel like I had a sense of place. And then the more um, opportunity and the further I got in my culinary career, it actually took me away from Jackson and away from Mississippi much more than I thought it would like it took me leaving Mississippi for me to fully envelop like all of the things that make me very Mississippi Um, and I was able to share that um, being in New York being in Wisconsin being in Texas um, just moving around and um, the wanderlust in me going to Italy And I was there for 11 days, and it was the most transformative and the most mind-blowing 11 days. Like, even now, it it just, it started such a, a, a wanderlust of, like, I have to go and be in these spaces and absorb and also understand how connected I am wherever I go it's not this I must take Mississippi with me or I have to show people this is a Mississippi thing like I never took Mississippi with me or had it as a character of what it meant to be Mississippi like it was just in my in my in my movement it was in the way I talked it was the way I looked it was in the way that I greeted people it was in my work ethic it was in the thoughtfulness of the food that I created, like everything to me that I do as a chef represents shows, expresses Mississippi. And um, the more places that I go, the the more I want people to understand the nuance and understand that there are so many layers of where I'm from and who I am and what this means to me and for me being a chef. So, and, and I'm still discovering that about myself. I'm still 
um, finding out how much I've repressed in my own development, in my own growth. And then there's so much that I'm excited about, like, I have to get this out. I have to do these things. So going to different corners of the world, for me, has fueled another layer to who I am as a creative. Um, I actually am looking to go to an extended space um, somewhere outside of the United States. I I want to go and I want to explore that and I want to um, just be in that space and just absorb it and, and, and enjoy it and express it. So, Enrica, in addition to Italy inspiring your wanderlust um, to travel, you mentioned, you, you specifically highlighted that as one of the transformative places that you visited. Was there anything else specifically about Italy that had such an impact on you? It, it was, you know, um, being, you know, it was like, uh, it was the traveling. It was being very Black in Italy. Like, I had so many um preconceived notions of what that would look like for me being a southern black woman in italy would i be looked at as a fetish would i be you know insulted would i be welcomed would i have a space there and the funny thing about it was i was invited into kitchens of the places where we ate right and you would think that these kitchens would be you know in this brigade system which is like this french um, like hierarchy of different positions and things you would think it would just be that regimented but it wasn't it was mom and pops it was great grandmothers in their cooking and so I knew like seven words of, of uh, Italian and I knew probably like five phrases to get me through this trip and it was again <laughs> the facial and the smiling and the here taste this and showing me where the cows made this cream for the panna cotta that they made that morning like it was it was again the i think it was the it was the accept it was the welcoming and it was also me just opening myself up to new experiences and 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 coming outside of comfort zones of just being you know regionally in this space or you know in the state or in the city or just in my small town so it just expanded just like the possibility for me of what I could do and where I could go like I'm like you know I'm (laughs) I'm from West Point Mississippi and I am in a kitchen in Orvieto Italy which is a hamlet in the mountaintops of some mountains that is so obscure and so small and I'm sitting here having five courses and they have invited me into the kitchen because they heard that I was a chef and I'm being welcomed into the kitchen to try and to see the things that they're preparing and it just still me coming from a big family a large extended family it was still just that that sense of hospitality Mm-hmm. You know, that that extended to that. And it was just really for me, um, it was the beauty in the food. It was so simple, but it was beautiful. It was so fresh. Um, there was so much pride in it. It's so, it was so much um, love in the food. Like, it's just things that it doesn't matter where you go. You just know that feeling 
of being welcomed and you know the hospitality state right. like it was it was reciprocated to me across the water thousands of miles away from what I would normally expect when I go home and I get that reception and I had that reception in a, in a, in a space where I had never met these people before. And so I journaled and I wrote everything, how I felt, how the air smelled, what I wore, the people I met, like everything was, it was such a sensory overload for me in a good way. And and it's kind of like, I want to replicate that every chance I get in the places that I go. Mm. I want to, I just, I just want to expound on that. And so that was just kind of, uh, that was one of the beginnings of like, this makes sense. This is, this is me understanding purpose and all of the things, how they connect in my life to bring me here to this point to recognize um, why I do what I do. Yeah, you know, and I didn't. Ha and, and the biggest thing is like not having. It's really important to me to like dismantle and dismiss this whole character notion of what a Mississippian, and especially as a black woman, a Southern rural black woman, what does she look like? What does right. she sound like? How does she dress? How does she move? And that is just such. Um, it's it's so refreshing to demystify that with people because they're like you're from where and i explained it i'm just like what did you expect though did you think i was gonna have a hoop skirt on or did right. you think i was gonna be you know like a fainting couch with me wherever i go because i'm so you know delicate or did you think you know what what did you think you know like we we yeah, like, you know, we, we're resilient and we're strong and we're beautiful people, period. Um, and I'm just showing a facet of that. So uh -huh. so that's why I, when, when I go to other places, like for me, it just helps amplify the pride and the honor that I have of just like knowing the people I come from and I'm just out here in the world being that fully. That's a very large space and feeling to have and being a chef and a creative in that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ryan Dennis, Chief Curator and Artistic Director of the Center for Art and Public Exchange at the Mississippi Museum of Art. Food seems to always bring forth memories of family. In our upcoming exhibition, A Movement in Every Direction, Legacies of the Great Migration, family memories hold a special place for our artists as well. I sincerely hope this podcast and your personal drive will guide you to come to the museum to visit this exhibition, which is on view through September 11th. You have plenty of time. Learn more at msmuseum.org or on social media at msmuseumart. See you in the galleries. Naya, is there a recipe or a favorite food that has been passed down for, in your family or from generations? <clears throat> um... No, I mean, in some ways, yes, but um, I would say like, that's one of the things that I'm trying to pursue in my work is to develop like an encyclopedia of using my family as a starting point of just the uh -huh. dishes that we make and um, capturing that in some kind of way. Um, but I mean, there's, it's to me, the dishes that, that make me think of home, I think... Um, 
Enrica touched on something really powerful when she was like, you know, feeling homesick, right? And and to me, you can't talk about a migration story without exploring what it means to feel homesick. Because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. don't leave home if they do not really have to. I think that's one of the tragedies of loving a place like Mississippi is that it's not always... Um, loves you back it doesn't always love you back and then also the the economic opportunities are not always there to to be like i want to go home but i can i make a living when i go home i think there's something kind of tragic in the fact that we only get to return home once we have toiled and we're ready to retire you know what i mean it's a you know it's like when i would tell people yeah i'm from yazoo city it's a beautiful place but you really need to have money already before you move there. It's not like, you know, there's a catfish um, plant that people work at. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it Those things are, are kind of difficult. But when we think about the migration in terms of being homesick, that's what leads, led me to start really cooking. Mm-hmm. So I like uh, came to college um, in 2008 and I really started understanding who I was, you know, as a person and just was like, oh, I'm not some expat from Philadelphia. I'm actually someone who's very much from Mississippi. And then, and then I was like, oh, so what does that mean? And then so, like, I started cooking the things that made me feel like home. Um, and that's how I cured my homesickness, you know. It was... Um, Things that we just would have for dinner, like string beans and, and new potatoes or like frying some fish or, um, you know, chicken livers. I'm a big fan of offal. OK, so <laughs> I love all the 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 organ meats and things like that. But, you know, again, another thing that Enrica said is using food as a way of accessing memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel very strongly about that. I feel like, you know, one of the things how I really started cooking was after my mom passed away and I really just started cooking as a way to work through my grief and as a way to build community. And I noticed that like when you cook, people come around, you know, people would call me up and before they said hello, they'd be asking, what did I make? You know, what were the leftovers? And my brother would be like, this is not a soup kitchen, you know, but, and, and, you know, it's just like being able to, to build community literally through food and making these dishes that people necessarily might not have had if they come from the upper South, like say Maryland or Delaware and things like that. And, um, you know, and then they get to see, I always think of this phrase, like if I was to ever write a cookbook, it'd be called some kind of good. Cause when me and uh, my great aunts are talking, they always end the phrase with, oh, you talking about some kind of good, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so those are the things. Cause I remember one day I was in my kitchen and I had my hands in flour and I was literally dredging some chicken livers and I was like, I never really, I, my mom is deceased and I never got to meet my grandmother. And then I had this moment where I was like, 
but I'm making this dish exactly how my mom showed me how to make it. And she made it how her mother taught her how to make it. And through there, it's like, in a way, I did meet my grandmother through food. You know, that this this information has really been passed down through hands and through memory that that like transverses any kind of space and time. And so when I cook the way that I cook, and to me, like like much like Enrica said, I'm from Mississippi. So everything I do is gonna have Mississippi in it. It doesn't have to be this overly characterized thing and putting on a show. It's 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 just like if you're a black chef, you're cooking black food. Even if you're you're cooking Korean food or whatever, this is black Korean food. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, you're bringing yourself with you wherever you go, and um, so that's a, a huge, huge part for me. Um, so I would say, I would you know we eat a, you know being in the Delta, we eat a lot of you know like freshwater fish. We eat a lot of catfish. Uh, so catfish is always a, a very big staple and um, cornbread, the cornbread we make is white and not yellow. I, you, know, um, you know, there's just like we have, I don't know, maybe we are just greedy people, but there's always food. <laughs> um, and to me, it's more so not about what we cook, but just the conversations around mm-hmm. food that happen and how it disarms people when you think. What does it mean to a people that have had to flee for some kind of, whether it was terrorism, economic terrorism, (laughs) um, to be able to gather, to have gardens, to to sustain themselves? Um, What does it mean for folks to be able to sit around and have memories about some things that may be really, really traumatic? But you get people talking around food. They start gossiping, telling lies, telling jokes. And, you know, I know for me, when I was developing my Mississippi hot tamale recipe and I was telling my great aunt about it, you know, that led to a winding road of a conversation about an ancestor that I knew nothing about, you know, Um, and how they grew up in a place called Buttermilk, Mississippi. And, you know, we got down this winding road. Well, now they're telling me about my great, great grandparents, you know. Um, So, yeah, to me, it's not so much about what dish is iconic. It's more so just about the ritual, the ritual of Uh what happens when people come together. Absolutely. And literally remember through food, Mm -hmm. you know. Enrico, what were some of the rituals for your family? Um. I I am from a family of greedy people as well, and um and and I saw one of the rituals was um you know barbecue in the sense of what we know barbecue to be, um you know um, we we would have like barrels and there were very specific charcoal and things we would use to light the the fire um of that um. There are certain um, desserts and people who make the foods that we don't deviate from. Um, um, a big thing for me when I go home, and I always say that, and I haven't been to West Point in a minute, even though it's like two and a half hours away from Jackson. 
But when I go home, it is a different, it's a transport. So it's like I know the ritual of um, shelling peas and canning pear preserves and going to get muscadine wine from somebody's cousin out in Egypt, Mississippi, out in the, in the you know, in the garage, you know, and you sip that, picking pecans, shelling pecans, um, everything. The most of the rituals was the gathering and the preparation for me, um, just watching and being excited about going to shop for Thanksgiving two days before and complaining that the hens are frozen. And so uh -huh. we got to thaw it out and, and using a hen to make broth. You don't use no chicken. You use a hen, like those sort, those very specifics. You know, Lesueur's peas, like brands, are very ritualistic for me. Um, um, eating certain things at certain times, like fish and spaghetti is a gospel yes. that I subscribe to. And yes. I just recently watched um, High on the Hog. I, I, I mean, by recent, I mean like last week sat and watched it just binge watched it and I couldn't watch it before last week because I knew it was going to be very full for me I knew I was going to feel a lot of things and I with life was not ready to um to take that on but um fish and spaghetti is a very 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 <laughs> I and I don't know why but I mean, I know why, but I, you know, it's just something that it is just like that is that is the absolute, um, for me, celebratory food. It's not mm -hmm. mac and cheese. It's not ham. Ham is is uh, repast food and Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, um, right. you know, um, playing cards. You had to have food to eat. Um, you have barbecue. Mama's making the potato salad. Aunt Dot is making the peach cobbler. Um, we ain't getting no rib tips. We getting slabs of ribs. We getting um, wings and leg quarters and Brian Brothers hot dogs for the kids. Um, yeah. You know, just just all the things. Chow chow. Because um, you had too many tomatoes. Um, uh -huh. You know, um, you don't eat hot water cornbread with everything. You eat hot water cornbread with certain stuff. You eat whole cakes with fried cabbage. You eat fat back with this. You don't use no pig feet in making turnips. You use pig tails. So, Nia, you know, as Enrica was going through those list of menus and ingredients, you know, I was just kind of thinking of family gatherings, fish and spaghetti, and for my family, it's fish and spaghetti and coleslaw. Or... Um, you know, shelling, you know, string beans on the front porch while your mother braids your hair. I mean, those are kind of really visceral kind of sense memories. Are there, is, as she was saying, is there anything that comes top of mind for you? Yeah, um, like my mom was really into food. And so, you know, and very particular. I remember, and my mom was disabled, so I had to operate as her hands and legs mm. a lot of times when we went to the grocery store and she'd be like, get a cabbage. And you know, being a kid, I'm just picking up a cabbage and right. throwing it in the basket. And she's like, uh-uh, no, look at this. This is how you inspect it. 
the process of procuring food and being able to pick a good item out, you know, and the characteristics that you're looking for. Um, my mom, when she made macaroni and cheese, she religiously had to have red rind cheese. And it's just this cheese that comes with the red rind, um, uh-huh. you know, or red rose sausage, you know, souse, uh, or similar to what Enrica was saying, when it came time to make dressing, you're using hens. You're not, you're not, you know, we would do ours with Cornish hens. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, on Sundays when the congregation would come over to our house and all these women would bring their casseroles and, and food, you know, like a sister O'Banner always had like a seven layer salad. And it was, <laughs> by the time you put all those seven layers, I don't know how healthy that salad was, but it was, right. surely, <laughs> but it was surely delicious, you know? Um, and then I also, you know, again, because of my mom being a working mother who was disabled, a lot of dishes we ate, she baked a lot of things. So one of those iconic things she would do is just like chicken breast, rice, and cream of mushroom soup. And uh-huh. zhuzh that up with some herbs and spices and things like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's literally, like you said, I, the first time I ever shelled peas was when I spent my, like what I remember to be my first summer in Mississippi. Even though when I was a baby, my mom would go back and forth and take me down there before my brother was born. So um, just, you know, like you said, sitting out there, getting your hair braided on the porch, um, tomato, like cutting up a fresh summer tomato and putting salt and pepper on it and mm-hmm. eating that. Oh, wow. You know what I yeah. mean? Like those kind of things that people don't think about, but those just simple things like, you know, fried okra to me. Like, I I feel like if the okra council wants to hire me to be a spokesperson, (laughs) I'm here to stop all of the okra slander. Um, And I love it all different types of ways. Um, The sliminess doesn't bother me, but like, I love it fried. I feel like it's, they're just so addictive when you fry them up. Um, Pickled. Um, To me, okra is a big central part of, I feel like my food identity. Mm-hmm. Um, in my family, when the women make greens, they always finish it off with a few whole pieces of okra on top. And to me, it what? Just, yeah, oh, for, I've never done that. To me, it feels like a real family signature, to be honest. Um, wow. And it's, yeah, I don't know where that came, but yeah. And then to me, when I hearken all that, that's why I feel like starting from, Black Southern Foodways is such a great connector for the larger environment of Black Diasporic Foodways is because why can you go to many places throughout the South and see some type of red rice? And then you go to West Africa and you see jollof rice, right? Uh You know, um, when you look at the way we make our greens, what does that remind you of? Cassava, you know, the way that Liberians make cassava. And right. that's a stewed green dish. You know, why are people in the Bahia region of Brazil making acara and do it? Because we all have this kind of central starting point and we've literally all spread out, but you can see us like in the food, you know, that we, where we might've lost the language, the names, we have the memory of our food. 
I, I find it very powerful that here in Philadelphia, um, I always take issue with the mislabeling of foods. So sweet potatoes are not yams, right? Right. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. And it, a funny story is um, when, you know, I was reading Jessica Harris's book, High on the Hog, and uh, she was saying that when they tried to cultivate the sweet potato in Africa, uh, folks wouldn't eat it because they were like, this is sweet. They called it the white man's yam, right? Mm. But I found it so powerful that we've had this kind of influence on food that in my neighborhood grocery store, if you get a sweet potato and you try to ring it up as a sweet potato, it comes up as a completely different price. But if you ring it up as a yam, then it's like 69 cents a pound or something like that. And it's like, they know, the buyers know that it's not a yam, but they know that right. that this is what it's, collo we all colloquially call it a yam. And that's literally the African influence in on American foodways. You know, like you can go to any grocery store and if you see a can of sweet potatoes, it most likely will be called yams. Um, oh, yeah. See, yeah, it's on the label. Yeah, it's on the label, even though it's mm -hmm. not a traditional yam, you know. Um, so, yeah, those kind of things are what interests me. And much like Enrica, I really do have a strong wanderlust. I feel like any chef's uh, worth their salt, you have to travel. You have to, that is, it's like being a doctor, you, you're constantly learning. I'm constantly collecting recipes, scouring books, uh, looking at ratios and um, imagining plates and I keep a sketchbook and I will even, I can even like see what the dish looks like on the plate before I even start cooking something. Um, and I feel like all of that, like, like she said, it's one of those things that you, I I think it did, it wouldn't matter where, if I lived in a different country or whatever, mm -hmm. because some things are just kind of in you. It's right. like, it's some things are kind of just guiding your hands and some things are just, it's imprinted on your DNA. If they can say that trauma is imprinted on us, then privilege can be imprinted on us. And memory can be imprinted on us, and love and joy and, and joy, and, and, yeah, and those, surely, yeah, and those connections, like, are literally kind of guiding us, you know. Because what's been really wonderful is that when I talk to my great aunts in the Delta, and they tell me about my great grandmother that she used to cook in a juke joint for for, uh -huh. for a spell. And how she used to make the chitlins and, and this or that. And um, it's just interesting to find. And I, I find it very radical to be able to reclaim this and not be in Miss Anne's kitchen, but to be in my kitchen and to be running this kitchen. And um, yeah, and putting that all together. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's just just super powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Naya. I really appreciate it. And, well, I have one last question to leave you all with as we begin to close out this, like, beautiful conversation you were having and making me think about, um, I don't know if your relatives ever had these conversations at their table, but, you know, the, we call them the potato salad wars. <laughs> for our... <laughs> 
for the family gatherings with the barbecue and all that. And so Naya, you know, Enrica met me as we mentioned during the um, our experience with owning a restaurant mm-hmm. in Jackson. But my father started um, cutting those oil drums in half mm-hmm. and doing that in the backyard which was like kind of the one of the traditional um diy approaches to black families barbecuing in the backyard um but my question my closing question for you both is what do you admire about each other's cooking i will i will start i will start with this um so (laughs) so the beauty the beauty of uh instagram it's a way to connect me with chefs who um, I respect and admire. Um, just something about them that speaks to me, right? And I remember when I had Fauna Food Works in cultivation, and my longtime friend, Tabi Moyo, came into Fauna. And I had just returned from. This is a shameless plug. I just returned from the James Beard house when I did a dinner. Um, it was, uh, I think it was Juneteenth. I think it was Juneteenth. Anyway, so I was like riding. Oh, you know, no, it was either Juneteenth or I think I did one with Carla. Nonetheless, Carla Hall. But nonetheless, I had just gotten back from New York. And I was back at work. And, um... And I had started following just a series of chefs, and I believe it was Juneteenth because I met Omar Tate and um, Dave Thomas and his beautiful wife, Tanya. They came and they participated, and then also Chris Williams from uh, Lucille's in Houston. We all did this dinner together. So anyway, nonetheless, Tabby came in, and I was just telling her about these, these chefs that I met from Philly. And then uh, one of the chefs, like Omar, I think, followed Naya and um and so I started following her because he recognized this this Mississippi connection because Naya was doing tamales in Philly and I said wait a minute I said who wait what I said I said what y'all doing tamales up in Philly and he's like yeah man like you should check her out so I followed Naya looked at her work and I was just like um this ain't Philly this is not Philly and so I dug a little deeper so Tabby I was telling Tabby and I'm thinking I'm putting Tabby on to some chef stuff and she says I know her she's a good friend of mine I was like Tabby you lying you don't know you don't know this chef girl I'm like she got this food truck I said girl she's up here frying catfish she this is I'm just like telling her all of these things and Tabby's like no I really do know her. So I message I believe I messaged Naya and I like commended her on like, yo, you've been doing these tamales. Like I'm feeling this and I would like everything that she was posting on her social media. I was like, I don't want to be a creep, but I want her to know that like like Mississippi and Jackson is like showing her some love. Like we see what she's doing. We get it. So it came from that. And then so Tabby started talking about her friend Naya the chef. And she's like, e, y'all have got to meet up. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Cause she's like in Philly. She's like doing big time stuff. And I don't know. And she was like, trust me, like y'all should meet. And so I think we exchanged numbers. Nonetheless, Naya and I had a phone conversation that, you know, coincidentally enough lasted for hours 
And I was able to thank her for doing what she does because it inspired me and it made me feel so proud and it made me feel so seen. And it was just the way that she did it. And it was just like this 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 humor and then this relatability and like and she's stylish. So it wasn't like this, you know, this contrived notion of like chef stuff. Like it was truly like I don't know why I know you or why I feel connected to you. But then when she started talking about the Mississippi connection, I was like, we are destined to sound like a really bad Lifetime movie. Like, this is just still again so crazy. I'm sorry, Lifetime, if y'all listen to this, like, no shade to Lifetime. Um, but we we just talked and, we just, and there were just so many connecting things. And she was just like immediately like, you know, um, she had followed some of the stuff that I did. So we just had like this fangirl moment and it's just continued on. It has been this continual fangirling and appreciation for the other's work and also um, affirming that you are seen and your work is valuable and you're necessary in the spaces that we're in. And she came to um, Juneteenth and we and I did a, a dinner, we had a weekend and she just came as, you know, as a guest and we've had we had so many opportunities to just talk like in person like in real life and it was just such a crazy thing because i was just like this is like how does this happen that someone's work that you follow on social media because it speaks to you and you tell it to a friend just casually and their friends are like oh yeah i know her and you you know and it's not a lie and it's a truth and then they have like their own very strong kinship and so it just connected all these pieces together for me so it just it it was just one of those crazy things and we just found so many coincidences in how not necessarily closely related we are but how familiar and how closely related we actually are in the work and the stuff that we're doing um and so it's just been that ever since like i it's it's just one of those things where when you recognize that you know you you protect it and you appreciate it and you know and um because a lot of this is the work is taxing and a lot of times it's just a different level of frustration as being black women in the industry like you know not making it into a pity party or anything but it was just definitely a thing of like i see you and sometimes that's all we need to know is that we are seen and appreciated and um that's what this has been for me just in knowing naya and getting to know her as she you know moves in her in her spaces so that's 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 my how we met story so you can elaborate <laughs> oh, whatever oh. you'd like. She's a hard act to follow, Naya. I know, I, am I know. Look, Enrique over here giving testimony, child. Oh, you know. First, I give an honor to the <laughs> But um, but I appreciate the being to be able to say this. You know what I mean? Like, so many times we don't get to thank people and give them their flowers or or share with them how impactful they are to us until they, you know, transition or something, you know, dramatic happens and then we look back in hindsight. And so this is just 
those one of those moments where it's like you have the opportunity to do that, you know, you you got to tell it all. So, you know, so nothing is missed in the moment. Well, like my grandmother said, my great grandmother, I am not a refrigerator, so I'm not holding nothing back. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've got me a little verklempt over here. That is very, <laughs> is, I needed that. Thank you so much. Um, what I enjoy about Enrica's cooking is like the style. To me, like working in like the industry and being someone who did not have the opportunity to go to culinary school um, and just literally cooked my way into cooking, I really admire chefs when I see them at work in the kitchen. There's so much planning and production that goes into getting something out on the plate. And um, that Juneteenth weekend, uh, I had the opportunity to be invited into the kitchen with um, Chef Enrica and Chef Rowe and just seeing the way that you talk about nervous. I was, she was like, did you bring your knives? I was like, no, I didn't bring my knives, you know? And it's just like, and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, you know, I'm like, they're real chefs. They're, they're, they're the big, this is the big leagues. I'm just, you know, and then, um, you know, to, to see us all have this ease and flow in the kitchen together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, just instinctually moving in this dance. And it, most kitchen spaces mm-hmm. are very tiny spaces. And mm-hmm. um, the way that I, you know, just the way that Enrica has an immense amount of detail with the way that she does her pop-ups or her boxes and just those, the elegance of it all is just, that's it for me. The elegance, wow. um, the, the details that really, really make an experience of it. And it's and it's like, like you said, not to be on like, a, 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 as they say <laughs> in social media, a lurker, but it's like, I see you and mm-hmm. I'm learning. And, mm-hmm. and just like you said, you don't see a lot of us represented. A lot of what you see in food media represented is very white and male. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach culinary to high school students here in North Philly. And they all jump at an opportunity to see those same tired videos with, you know, no disrespect, but, you know, Gordon Ramsay and and those same guys do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And to me, the power of someone like Enrica and Fauna Food Works and the Magnolia Market and just the way that Enrica has been so gracious of allowing other chefs to shine and share that light. A lot of people want to be the only one. Um, And Enrica has been so gracious with her time, her energy, sharing her wisdom, Um, just even the thoughtfulness of, you know, you put on that juke joint event and I just had to come. I was like, oh, that's right up my alley. And then when you said, (laughs) when you said fried fish and spaghetti, and I was like, I had not had fried fish and spaghetti in so long. And just from even the intention of how you plated it, how you took these boxes, the box top, it really felt like a juke joint, you know, even down to like some, the signage of like pig feet Mm -hmm. for 50 cent, you know, um, the, the sawdust on the floor, just all these elements of like really creating, like, it's like, you're not just a chef, you, you're a curator. 
of food. It's, yeah, I'm just constantly amazed. And like, you know, I'm like, can I work at your kitchen? (laughs) Like it's, I mean, because again, it, it takes a certain kind of chef that can just hold all of that. To, to do the planning, the shopping, the sourcing, and then still have space for that intentionality. Um, it's just, I, I'm constantly just amazed and taken aback. And even like, I look back at, um, you had that, uh, you were doing those boxes for Valentine's Day. And just mm-hmm. even the level of precision and detail it's like one of those things where I was like, man, if I was close, I would order that, 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 <laughs> that. And just like your ability to, to connect with what's going on in the culture right now to even do a package called the flute out. You know what I mean? And it's like, and you're signaling and talking and the way that you do it, you're saying that this is for us. Yeah. This is for us. Yeah. Either you get it or you don't. Right. And I'm, I remember one time, uh, I think you had posted something on Instagram and you were like, I'm about to do these vegan neck bones. And I'm just like, bruh, <laughs> I need to know about these vegan neck bones. I immediately called you. You were like, I still get questions about <laughs> vegan neck bones. I was just like, uh, okay. Um, I just, you know, I have, I have to interrupt you to say, you know, thank you for that because a lot of that for me, it is because I see other people doing their work, and I'm inspired by that, and it, and it helps me uh, navigate and understand the work that I want to do, the work that I'm purposed to do, and the people that I want to do it around, and who I want to learn from and and share with. So it's not, it's not insular for me. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna you know curate some stuff because i feel like curating it really does come from i'm always inspired and i'm encouraged and i'm excited by creativity and beautiful creativity and people who are in their passion and their purpose so you know you lend yourself to my process and and i take that very serious and i'm also very great grateful and it's an immense amount of gratitude that you know we are able to connect and I honor that because it's it's a gift and it is something that I hold in high regard so it's just like when you're seeing me it's like I hope that you see yourself um because that's what I, I feel when I see other people doing their things it's like yo I see, I see myself and and that's and that's it's it's always good to be affirmed in those ways not even if you're looking for it or not it's just really beautiful to be in it so I, I had to to share that it's it's not a thanking of the little people or anything like that it really is just like you know process <laughs> if you only knew right just how sometimes those things just get me through and over and seeing other people do their things and being inspired by that to like get me over those humps or reignite something or or inspire some things and and that's what it's and that's what it's about for me. It's it will always be that. So I'll be, I'll be forever like excited by this. Sometimes I need time to recharge as we do, but but thank you for that. Yeah, cuz when I see you do your thing, um it's like that affirmation that we are enough. I feel like so much mm-hmm. in this culture mm-hmm. 
has told us that we're not enough or mm-hmm. it's not enough until somebody else does it. Right. Mm-hmm. Until Sean. Or they, Rock. Or they grant you permission. <laughs> right. Until somebody like all of a sudden all these white boys are like the the grand dames of Southern cuisine and, yeah. you know, and no shade yeah. to them. But it's like to to be like, no, we are going to do a theme dinner of catfish and, and uh, perch or whatever. And and boiled peanuts and, you know, and like all these things. It's just, yeah, to me, it's like it, like you said, it's just constantly reminding what is possible and mm-hmm. getting that inspiration. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, like Chef Enrica's generosity, um, generosity with her time and just knowledge and just all those things. And connecting with other chefs. Like I got an opportunity to meet Chef Rowe, who works at Manship and just like having those connections. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Well, thank you both so much for this really inspiring um, conversation about your families and making me very hungry and thinking about catfish and spaghetti. <laughs> I know. Uh, hopefully our listeners will enjoy and kind of reconnect with some of their sense memory. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you all again. All right. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. This limited series podcast brought to you by the Mississippi Museum of Art in partnership with the Mississippi Arts Commission and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. In our next episode, I speak with musicians Johnny B. and Queen Aretta. Learn more about the Mississippi Museum of Art and our upcoming exhibition, A Movement in Every Direction, Legacies of the Great Migration, at msmuseumart.org.